Welcome to the Hutto Community Church Podcast. HCC is located in Hutto, Texas, and is led by Pastor Russell Daniel. For more information, please check out our website at huddocommunitychurch.org. Now let's join Pastor Russell for today's message. Tonight we're going to continue our series through Romans 8. And tonight we're going to look at uh, verses 9 through 11, so we're going to get into the double digits here. And over the next few weeks, we will pick up the pace, and I promise we'll finish this before the new year begins. By way of reminder, uh, last week we talked about verses 5 through 8, and specifically we talked about what it means to set our minds on the Spirit. And so just by way of introduction here, what I'd like to do is just reread verses 5 through 8 to you, and then we'll jump into verses 9 through 11. So Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For the mind... Uh, I'm sorry, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this week we are, are switching gears just a little bit, and we're talking about uh, what is really more our responsibility as Paul commands us to set our minds on things of the Spirit. And we're going to talk more about the Spirit's role in our life in verses 9 through 11. And and tonight will be a little bit more uh, theological, especially towards the end. And I'm really excited about that because I believe that unveils some great things about who God is and how He interacts in our life. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm just going to kind of talk as we go through these scriptures, and uh, I'm just going to read portions of them, and we'll talk about them for a few minutes and then move on. So in verse 9, we read, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So coming out of verses 7 and 8, where he talks about the person who's mind that is set on the flesh. And this person cannot please God. This person cannot submit to God's law. Then he shifts gears and he says, wait, wait, but this is not true about you. And remember, the book of Romans was written to the church in Rome. And so he's talking to them and saying, I know you guys, and I know that this style of thinking, this way of thinking is not true about you because you are controlled By the Spirit. And I think this brings up a couple of great points for us to consider. Number one, that's who you are. You are people who are controlled by the Spirit of God because you have the Spirit of God living inside you. And and so many times I think that we forget that. And, And for many of us, we've grown up thinking, well, I am just a poor, lowly sinner. And so because we think that way, we also act that way. And, and, and that carries out into every aspect of our life. And so, oh, 
man, I just I fell short again, Stephen. I'm just so sorry. I'm just a poor sinner. Or you, or you go to your, your husband and your wife and you say, well, I'm just a, a poor, lowly sinner because you're living out exactly what you think to be true in your mind. And so what Paul is saying here is that it kind of continues what we talked about last week. You've got to set your mind on the Spirit, but you also have to know who you are. And church family, let me just gently remind you, you are those in the Spirit. You are not those in the flesh. You do not act in the flesh. You do not live in the flesh. Or you would not be here in this room or listening online on a Saturday night in the middle of college football season when I know there's a lot of other things that you could be doing. You are those of the Spirit. And so I would just challenge you, begin to think that way. Do not tell yourself, I'm a poor, lowly sinner, or I messed up again. And we put all of these negative labels on ourselves, and so it reveals how self-talk is oftentimes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So let your self-talk be, I am one controlled by the Spirit. That I am one who is a spiritual person. I am filled with the Spirit of God. I know God's Word. I love God. And I live to please Him. I think about uh, the words that come out of, I believe it's uh, 1 Peter. I might be wrong and it might be 2 Peter. But it reminds us that we are priests before God as we minister to Him. We do not have to go to someone else to confess our sins. We are priests ourselves. It's what the Word of God says. That's who we are. We are those who are spiritual, who are prayer warriors, who are evangelists, who are those who think and are controlled by the Spirit of God. Which goes back to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that is true of you. So, uh, you know, I don't know what you brought in here tonight. I don't know what uh, kind of self-condemning thoughts you may have had that you don't measure up or you're not good enough uh, or you've got some ism out there that has been put on you, but I'm telling you here, there is no condemnation for you in the context of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So if He doesn't put condemnation on you, then don't put it on yourself. Because God's Spirit lives within you. Yet at the same time, I have to ask you the question, church family, have you submitted yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit? Have you submitted yourself to Him? Because even though we claim Jesus as Lord, so oftentimes we are so self-focused and focused on our little bubble that we ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit. So are you? Are you one who is controlled by the Spirit? Are you setting your mind on Him? Are you submitting your mind to Him? Are you following through on obedience to Him when He speaks to you? Because I will tell you, sometimes I, I believe the Lord will stop speaking to us if we are not being obedient on what we already know we're supposed to do. And He's waiting on us to do the previous thing He said. 
And so if he said, well, I need to go and get right with James, then I need to go and get right with James. And, and I need to stop waiting for other direction because that's what he's told me to do. And so as we set our minds on the Spirit, it comes with the responsibility to also be obedient to his leadings. But then the second half of verse 9, and I'm in the New Living Translation tonight. It says, And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And so simply what he's saying, that if you are a Christ follower, if you are a believer, then you have the Spirit of God living in you, period. Period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And if you do not have the Spirit of God living in you, then, friend, you are not a believer. Period. End of discussion. That is exactly what Paul lays out for us tonight. And this is confirmed by uh, other passages of Scripture, right? 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us his Spirit. Without His Spirit, there is no salvation, okay? So you either have the Spirit and you, and you know Jesus and you follow Him, or you don't. And, and so we need to be very clear about that. And then this is again confirmed in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. And I just, I love this because it's encouraging to me. He says, and now you Gentiles, you have heard the truth, the good news, that is the gospel, that God saves you. And when you believed, He identified you as His own. So He said, you're mine. How did He do that? He gave you His Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. And so when you, in that moment of salvation, how, whatever that looks like for you, if that was a moment in time and you remember a specific prayer or maybe that was a process for you, whatever that looked like in your life, when you began to follow Jesus, He granted you the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee, His signet ring, His stamp of approval, that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify Him. So the Holy Spirit, just take the, the image of a signet ring, a king who has one ring and it has his insignia on it and he's the only one who can use it. And so when he takes that little hot wax or... or little uh, melted piece of gold or silver or whatever it is, and they drop it on the letter, and he puts his uh, signet ring on it. He seals it. That is what the Holy Spirit is for you and for me. He is God's stamp of approval in your life and my life that we are believers, that we are saved, that the uh, inheritance promised to us of eternal life will be ours. It's the down payment on a house. That is the Holy Spirit's guarantee for you and me. Why? so that we would praise and glorify the name of Jesus. What a gentle reminder that in our self-absorbed world, it's not about us at all. It's about Jesus Christ. This is where people generally say, Amen. Okay, there we go. We're on board. So, God gives us His Spirit we are controlled by His Spirit. And then we go to verse 10 back in Romans 8. Paul says, And Christ lives in you. 
I'm sorry, Christ lives within you. So even, your bo- even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives life because you have been made right with God. Okay, so this one's uh, pretty simple, right? We, we still carry around this body of death. It has been tainted. It has been martyred by sin. And so it will eventually die. Just because we have Christ and we have eternal life with Him does not mean this physical body is not going to die. It will die lest Christ come again. But our spirit lives on because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And we are seeing, I love the song we sang earlier, that His blood ran red so that our sins were washed white. Did I get that right? Okay, I'm getting a little tongue-tied up here. But that's the image of what Jesus did for us. And that's what Paul is saying here. That though we will die, the body will die, the Spirit will live on unless the Lord comes again. And so that's a a great reminder that our hope is not in this life, right? Death is painful. We've all lost loved ones. And sometimes that happens at an unexpected time and others pass too soon and we grieve for them and we mourn for them. And sometimes it is unfortunately very life-changing. But those who pass on before us are more alive now than they were when they were here on this earth. And they have life in Jesus at this moment because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Verse 11. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same life-giving Spirit living within you. I love this, okay? This is so rich. It is the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. It is His divine power that that gave Jesus the, the ability to overcome death and to be resurrected and have that resurrection body. That is power, guys. I mean, I don't know what your definition of power is, but that is power. And when Scripture talks about it, it is not a just a oh powerful as if we're lifting weights. It is a violent, life-changing kind of power. It brings what is dead to life. It is the Spirit of God who can put the sinful nature that you and I still bear to death so that we might live for Christ. That is power. The same power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that lives inside of you. So I do not know what you are walking through. I do not know where you need to see the Spirit of God move in a powerful way. But I'm telling you, He is more than capable. He is more than capable. And so I would urge you, church family, whatever it is that you are struggling with, whatever it is you are looking for God to do, Bring it to the power of that life-giving Spirit and submit it to Him and let Him do with it what He will. He has all the power and change life on this earth and change your life for forever. He can deal with whatever you're walking through today. He has the power. And so we see even in 
that there's really a matter of life and death here when it comes to the Spirit of God. Because if you have the Spirit, you certainly have life. But if you do not have the Spirit, you are simply walking around in death. And so the body will one day be resurrected. And I just love this because this body, yeah, it's going to die. It's going to be put in the ground. But one day, the same Spirit that gave life to Jesus is going to bring life to this body again. Only at that time, it's going to be a better body. It's going to be a glorified body. It's going to be like the body that Jesus had that was able to sit with the disciples and eat, and in an instant, he's gone. It's like the body when Jesus was walking down the Emmaus Road and the disciples did not recognize him. All of a the sudden, they recognized him, and he was gone. That's the kind of glorified body we're going to have. I mean, it's like something out of a crazy sci-fi movie, but yet it's real. And so we look forward to that day. Now, I want to shift gears for just a few minutes here and talk a little bit about the theology uh, behind salvation. And I want to talk about basically the three stages of salvation, because whether you know it or not, they have been outlined for us in Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. And we're ending with verse 11 today, so it's a great time to talk about it. So, this might be review for some of you, uh, but for others of you, it might be new, so I'm going to go through it as if you've never heard it before. So the three stages of salvation, and I'm talking about this as if you are a believer. So if you're not a believer at this moment in time, then uh, all of this is future tense. But for those of us who have said yes to Christ and follow Him, uh, the first stage of salvation is in the past. And, and we just call that justification. Okay, this is past tense. And, and I found a great little chart this week, and I don't know... Uh, who to give credit to it, but it's amazing. And this first tense of salvation is separation from the penalty of sin. So when you and I come before uh, the Lord and we say yes to Him, in that moment we are justified before God the Father because Jesus' blood has paid the penalty for our sin. So we have crossed over basically a line in the sand and we have moved from being under the penalty of sin to being free from the penalty of sin, no condemnation. And in the, in the realm of theology, we simply call this justification. You have been saved. You've been saved. And, and a lot of you can quote some scripture to go along with that. Number two, this is going to be present tense. This is sanctification. And this would be separation from the power of sin. And so, Uh, What this talks about is that we are all still in process of being saved. Now, yes, eternity has already been determined for us. Uh, The Father sees us as clean, but hey, we still struggle in this life, and it's still a process of growing in our faith. It's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because we're all still in process here. So you are in the process of being saved. And then finally, there's the future tense, which is uh, glorification, which is what we talked about there in verse 11. You will be saved. And at that point in time, we will be separate uh, from the presence of sin. And so in this time, this is the after death moment. This is when our bodies will be uh, raised again. We'll have our glorified bodies. We'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And in the presence of the Lord Jesus, there is no sin. And that is the place we will be. So we see this worked out just perfectly in Romans chapter 8. 
And I'm going to walk through this uh, kind of quickly here. So in verse 2, we see justification. You have been saved. It is the power of the life-giving Spirit that has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So this has already happened. This is done. We've crossed over from death to life. And then we see sanctification in verses 9 and 10. You are uh, controlled by the Spirit. Christ lives in you and gives you life. This is also verses 5 and 6, to be able to set your mind on Christ. And uh, the one who sets his mind on the Spirit has life and peace. This is a continuing process. It's happening right now. And for many of you, I've seen, I've seen you grow a, a ton. And so this is a, a living and active thing. And you are being sanctified. You are growing closer to Jesus. This is a process that does not end until the day you die. And so I would hope and I would pray that your spiritual life looks like this. It is steadily looking more and more like Jesus every day. And then in verse 11, we see glorification, that He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same life-giving Spirit who is living within you. And what I think is so interesting about this is that it is the Holy Spirit. It is His role to carry out all of this in our lives. And so we see the perfect triune God all working together for our salvation. We see the love of God the Father. We see the, fa- the sacrifice of God the Son who went to the cross for you and for me. We see the life-giving Spirit who brought Him uh, back to life. And we see that same life-giving Spirit working in your life and my life to convince us that we need Jesus in our lives, that He is Lord of all. And it is the Spirit who makes much of Jesus and, and causes us to praise Him and to glorify Him. It is the Spirit who urges us on and encourages us and convicts us to become more like Jesus in that process of sanctification. And it is the Spirit who will glorify these dead bodies when Jesus comes again and brings everything to its final end. And so this is all the work of the Spirit. And I've got kind of a quote here for you, and it's not really a quote, but if you're taking notes, write this down. It is the Holy Spirit who accomplishes all three stages of salvation in our lives and enables us to love not only Himself, but the Son and the Father, and to have fellowship with this triune God, the Holy Trinity. And if you've never heard the term the Trinity, it's just simply the belief that the Father and the Son or the Spirit, they are three persons, but they are one together. And the only way I really know how to describe that is like an egg. And it it sounds really silly, and this illustration falls woefully short but you've got the shell and you've got the yolk and you've got the egg whites. And you can separate all of those out, but ultimately it takes all three of those to make an egg. And so you've got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they are three in one. And so as we end today, the challenge for you and I is to continue to be controlled by this Spirit who pushes us to love Jesus more and and to draw closer to Him, to align our lives with the way He lived. And Corey Ten Boom offers us some great insight on how we do this. And I'm going to read her quote here. 
She says, I have a glove in my hand. The glove cannot do anything by itself. But my, when my hand is in it, it can do many things. True, it, it is not the glove, but my hand in the glove that acts. And we are gloves. It is the Holy Spirit in us who is the hand who does the job. We have to make room for the hand so that every finger is filled. And so church, I want to encourage you to be like that glove. That you would clean out all the spaces in your life and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to use you mightily in the kingdom of God. You know, this year has been crazy. It's been hard for many. I mean, who could imagine everything that's happened from COVID to um, the racial tensions? Of course, we all could have predicted the political climate. And yet the year is not over. We still have an election. We still have Thanksgiving and Christmas and whatever else decides to come our way. But our hope is not in any of that. It's not. It's simply in Jesus. I was talking with someone this week, and we were talking about everything happening politically at the county level, the national level, even at the city level. Our hope is not in any of that. We just see brokenness everywhere. And this individual began to go through life and began to talk about uh, all the things that he was facing, talking about the problems in this relationship and the concerns with this person and just the brokenness we see over and over again. And he said, I don't know where God is in any of this. And I said, no, no, you just preach the gospel because you can't do anything by yourself. You have no hope. You can't do anything to control this person or this person or this situation. It's all broken. But the good news is that Jesus is the one who makes it whole. It is His life-giving Spirit. He's the only one who can work in this person's life over here. He's the only person who can work in your family member's life right here. He is the only person who can bring peace to a nation that is in total chaos. Yet we have to be like that glove to make room for Jesus to come in so that Jesus can do what He does best and only He can do. Because there is no peace apart from Him. There is no love apart from Him. There is no unity among races apart from Him. But He is the one who brought the most hated people in the world together. He's the one who brought Jews and Gentiles and said, you are one in the kingdom of God. And if He can do that, if the life-giving Spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, and if He is the one who lives inside of me, then anything is possible. Let us be encouraged by that, that there is hope in the name of Jesus and His life-giving Spirit that lives in each and every one of you here tonight. Praise be to His name. Pray with me. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or visit our website 
at huddocommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening and God bless.